Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, welcome back to another episode of Painting Corners. It is I, Dave, and I have Gabe with me tonight and Wick from Reds Reporter Podcast. Wick, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, really appreciate that. And we're going to give you a chance to plug right now while everyone's listening before they tune us out. So go ahead and plug what you want to plug. Let us know where you're coming from, what you're doing, and why you're qualified to talk about the Reds today. Yeah, yeah. Before I run everybody off, uh, so I'm the managing editor at RedReporter.com. It's the uh, SB Nation Cincinnati Reds affiliate site. Um, I've been writing there since 2011. I've uh, been uh, editor there for, I guess, well, this will be season number four coming up in 2020. Um, but yeah, we uh, we, we like our, our statistics. We like to get a little analytical there, but we also like to joke around and have some fun as well. So it's a, it's a pretty lighthearted view with the Cincinnati Reds, which um, in case you haven't noticed what the Reds have done and not done over the last five years, um, you kind of have to be lighthearted about uh, uh, covering them on a day-to-day basis because it's been a, a whole lot of rebuilding and losing and all that jazz. But uh, hopefully this winter we are um, uh, uh, no longer going to be slogging through that and might actually add some players and try to win some games next year. So uh, we're excited about ramping up coverage of a team that might actually be relevant again next year. So, uh, yeah, check us out, redreporter.com. we got a podcast. You can find us on all the spots, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's the Red Reporter podcast. And, yeah, check us out if we – we, um, if you like what you hear tonight, hopefully you'll come check us out afterwards as well. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, we got a lot of people that, you know, really like this type of stuff. And we're the same way where we're, we love analytics. We love advanced analytics, but we also have fun. And there's also the eye test involved and you can't ignore things like that. So I guess right off the bat, like you said, you don't want to tank anymore. You don't want to suck. And we, Gabe and I have a crush on the Reds. We've had for a few years at least. And one of the positions that is a need is catcher. It's one of the few positions on the t- on the roster and the lineup that doesn't have somebody that can actually hit the ball. Tucker Barnhart will not hurt you, and that is a compliment. He's not going to go out there and mess up behind the plate. He's not going to strike out 300 times a season, but he is going to bat like 220, 230, and that is what he is. His contract's weird. It was definitely signed when they were rebuilding and stuff like that, but the bigger name out there is Jasmani Rendall. He was a former Red do you guys bring him back? Do you give him 480? Do you give him five five hundred? What does the plan look like for that? And if you do get him, does he play 130 games and Barnhart's there here and there? Do they split more time than that? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, so Tucker had switched hit his entire career up until last year and 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 certainly hit much, much better from the left side of the plate. So the idea of having him and Kirk Casale around as a platoon is not the you know, it, it, that's not the worst position in the world. You're not counting on them to be a middle of the order kind of uh, uh, position, but if you can hide them at the back end, um, that's fine. The only problem is, is the Reds had a couple of the black holes in their their offense last year too, which suddenly means okay, you got to upgrade somewhere. And catcher certainly seems like the spot that, that, that would be the obvious one. Um, the Reds were very heavy in on JT Realmuto last year before he ended up going to the Phillies. Um, reportedly, they were willing to include Tucker as well as uh, top prospect Jonathan India to get him. Didn't get him but that kind of clues you in that the front office says hey catcher's a spot that we can pretty well upgrade um 
you know, Grandel almost seems like a perfect fit. Uh, you look at what he did this year, also a switch hitting catcher, uh, but a guy who can play first base as well. And when you've got Joey Votto on the roster, uh, I, I'm still optimistic that Votto can find a way to become, uh, even if it's more of just what you saw from him in 2018, which was uh, a low power but incredibly high on base percentage guy. If he can still channel himself through that for the next year or two, uh, I think that's okay. But you look at some of his splits over the last few seasons, and he's really begun to struggle uh, significantly when against left-handed pitching. Um, you look at a guy like Grandal, uh, who got over 600 plate appearances this year in Milwaukee, uh, in large part because he got time at first base. Uh, they, they found ways to spell him behind the plate by getting him starts at first base. Um, he's a When he hits right-handed against left-handed pitchers, he, he's an absolute basher, uh, which makes me think, what? You can catch him 110-ish games a year and get him starts at first base against tough left-handed pitchers uh, and really kind of help round out that lineup for the Reds. So um, I, I think he's the pie-in-the-sky guy. Uh, so to speak for the Reds this offseason, meaning um, they, they've hinted they want to go out in free agency and sign a big guy. I think they'll chase him. Um, but catchers like that just don't come around that often. And I think there's going to be a lot of other teams out there that are willing to bid heavily on him. Um, I hope the Reds are in on him. I hope they find a way to land him. Um, but you start talking about 500 for a guy who's 31 as a catcher, uh, when you've already got somebody so entrenched at first like Joey Votto, I could see the Reds getting priced out on him at a certain level, um, but I do totally think they're going to chase after him this winter to at least an extent. Yeah, I think so too, and I think it's the right move because, like you said, it's hard to find a catcher like that. You think of some of the top catchers in the game. You think of Real Muto. You think a few years back to Buster Posey and even Joe Maurer if you want to go back you know, eight years ago or something, but He's in that conversation, especially now. The fact that you can throw him at first base, and that's now in for the future because Joey Votto is only getting older, and you don't know what's going to happen with that. If I was the Reds, four years, 80 is a steal. I would even go up to like 400 or 500 just because you can figure out the last two years of that contract later. For a team that has a smaller window and a smaller market, the fact that you can go out and spend a little bit of money, it's not a ton. You're not spending Mookie Betts money or you know Bryce Harper money by any means. It's a shorter contract, so... You could definitely go do it. If I had to put money on it, I would say they get him because of the fact that they might just be like, you know what, take the fifth year, come here, come back. You know, no pressure here, but you might actually win something at some point. You know, it won't be like, you know, four straight first place seasons, but you don't need that. Speaking of Joey Votto, in my opinion, Joey Votto is the greatest hitter of his generation. And I know that's like a, like kind of like a hot take outside of Cincinnati maybe, but if you just look at the numbers and how good he's been, even this year you can throw in there, and it was a down year. He's been unbelievable. He's on the contract forever. He's not leaving. He doesn't want to leave. He could have left. They, he could. He has a full no movement. He could easily ask for a trade. I'm sure since that, I'd be like, yes, go. Go help a team. We'll, we'll get rid of the contract, too. We know he's going to play. We know he's going to play a lot, even if Grandal's there. What's the future look like at first base? Because Gabe and I were looking, and Gabe went into kind of like a nice little dive, but we couldn't find a first baseman that is like even a hint of like the 29th prospect that's like in four years he could be something. What is the what's going on there? Is it just going to be a figure it out when he's done in like 2024 or is it a, you know, we'll draft something now and groom that? Uh, that's a really good question. You know, uh, uh, it's it's one of those scenarios that um, uh, I, I would like to think that the Reds don't want to be looking for that just yet. <laughs> it's one of those things it's like they don't even want to approach the topic because Yeah, that, you don't even want that, to think about it right now. Right. Yeah. It brings in like, oh God, that's the demise and that's that, you know, whatever four years, five years and however hundred billion dollars he's got left on his contract at this point. Um yeah, yeah, I, I 
it's I, I agree with you on all of that. Like, you know, the, just going back to 2017, which obviously was Vado's last great elite year. Um, the dude walked 51 more times than he struck out while also hitting 36 home runs. Like it's just it's a it's a he's been a marvel to watch. He's um, you know, he's publicly for his entire career stated how much Ted Williams was his idol and how he studied the way that Ted hit, studied his book, all of that stuff. He, he's kind of a throwback guy in that regard. Um, he's been a marvel to watch. I, you know, for as difficult a year as he had this year, and even you go back to two, uh, 2018 where the power kind of began to evaporate, uh, he still led the uh, National League in on-base percentage with 417 uh, in 2018. Last year, he struggled a lot early on, but things kind of began to click a little bit after the first real month, month and a half. Um, he's a constant tinkerer, and I think you're going to see a, a different Joey Votto in 2020 than what you saw in 2019. Hopefully that's the Joey Votto that I think can still be a productive big league batter and hit uh, and player. Um, but I think he's reached the point where he's going to have to start experimenting and have to start doing things a little bit differently just because he is going to be, what, 36 years old. Um, yeah, he's got to uh, change his approach. Yeah, for sure. Um, you talk about like the future of first base. Uh, the one thing about where the Reds are right now and one thing that I think is kind of uh, emblematic of the way David Bell likes to manage and likes to have his roster at, at his uh, uh, disposal he loves versatility. He loves flexibility. And the way the Reds are going into this offseason right now, there are so many moving parts and so many would-bes and could-bes. Uh, Nick Senzel, uh, former top prospect, was a rookie this past year before having uh, a little bit of a shoulder issue that had surgery and ended his season. Came up as a third baseman or second baseman, but they shoveled him into center field because they didn't have a center fielder. Um, the thought process has long been, if you want him around for the long term, moving him back to the infield is a spot where you could, in theory, uh, uh, really watch him flourish. Uh, I think that's something that the Reds are still willing to uh, uh, to kick around, whether it's this year or a year or two down the road. Um, Eugenio Suarez, who was brilliant at third base uh, as of two years ago, uh, has turned into an offensive force, um, but his defense has slipped a little bit over the last two seasons as well. Um, he's a guy who's under contract for, I think, six more years at a very, very reasonable steal of a contract at this point. Um, I, I think the idea that he could slide over to first base at some point down the road, uh, two, three, four years down the road, um, especially if the DH ever makes its way into the National League, uh, is something the Reds are willing to consider as well. And not that I think that that's something that's really in the pipeline right now, um, but I think if, if push came to shove, uh, if you're talking 2023, 2022, um, that would probably be your next best option for what the Reds would turn to uh, at first base. Uh, the question also is, looping back into the Yasmany Grand conversation um one of the Reds' top prospects, and probably the one who had the best year this year, uh, Tyler Stevenson, former first-round draft pick at a high school in 2015. Um, as so many young catchers do, really kind of struggled his first few years in the minors. Um, kind of broke out this year in a double-A environment in Chattanooga that wasn't super offensive, uh, but had a fantastic Arizona Fall League. Is going to be triple-A uh, to start next year, probably. Um, the Reds go outside a guy like Grandall. Something you start to wonder what the Reds do with him, especially with Barnhart in the contract, Casali around, whether or not he becomes a trade ship or whether or not he becomes a guy that you could start grooming to play positions other than catcher as well. Um, so that's uh, that, that's the other option in the pipeline, I would think, if if and when we start thinking about moving on from Joey Votto. Yeah, uh, I I love Votto, but it is a question that you have to you know look at. And I'm with you. I wouldn't want to think about that stuff uh, until you have to make a move. But then again, you know, looking at the uh, prospect rankings, there's not really a first base prospect in the Reds organization that could take over a spot so it's definitely going to be something interesting to look at but moving over to second uh, we can kind of blend this with 
shortstop. Uh, Dave and I were kicking around before we came on about Didi Gregorius. If the Reds do sign him, there's that issue. Um, he had Tommy John. Uh, do the Reds maybe move him over to second? I know um, Pereza, Dietrich, um, Scooter Jeanette was there to start the season. Um, what are your thoughts at second, and what should they do at second? Good freaking question. Um, yeah, so uh, it, like I said, it kind of it, it kind of involves Sinzel as well, to be honest, because he's coming off labrum surgery. Um, he's supposed to be plenty healthy and fine and good and all the above going into spring training, um, but it's on his throwing shoulder. And so suddenly it's like, okay, well, even if his legs are still good enough to cover ground in center field, is he going to have the kind of arm strength going into 2019 uh, to warrant keeping him in center field, which was a position he'd never played as a professional during last year as well? Um, I think there's a big segment of Reds fans that say, hey, move him to second now. There's nobody else coming up. There's nobody uh, on the roster that's better than him. Uh, uh, coddle him a little bit if you need to to give him the best chance to succeed right now and going forward. Make him the second baseman. That's where he should go. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of on board with that, to be honest. Um, I, I think that's probably his best position long term. Um, but the problem with the Reds is you move him from center field and suddenly there's not a natural center fielder on the roster to take over there. And the free agent market for center fielders isn't exactly robust either. So that's uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that regard. And it's one that I think however they choose to solve second base – will also uh, kind of reveal what their plans are for center field as well, because I think those are kind of tied together. Um, one guy who I think probably showed the best in 2019, and it kind of came out of nowhere because he wasn't really a prospect, uh, was Josh Van Meter, um, a guy who also can play all over the field, um, but I think kind of profiles best as a second baseman. Um, I think he's a guy who I think you'll see get a shot at second base, uh, barring another major acquisition from outside the organization. Um, a guy who can take a walk, a guy who, who has a very, very advanced approach at the plate, um, took a long time to kind of come around, um, uh, but really had a breakout uh, first two months at AAA, got a shot at the big leagues, uh, excelled greatly to start, kind of stumbled a little bit down the stretch, um, but I think he's a guy who's very much in play for second base. Um, I could almost see the Reds doing something along the lines, if they want to keep Sinzel in center field, of kind of giving um, uh, Van Meter almost that left-handed side of the platoon at second base, and then maybe bringing in a veteran guy that they might be able to find on a on a very short-term deal, a guy like Brian Dozier maybe, um, someone who could help add uh, to the depth at second base, but also let Van Meter get sp uh, time at some other spots. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I'm also interested to see what the heck happens with Scooter. I mean, for as brilliant a two-year run as he had, uh, he just completely evaporated last year. Um, had a groin injury that basically sapped his first two months. Came back, didn't hit, got sent to the Giants, hit even less, and then finished the season without a team. So uh, that's a guy that, oh, as recently as a year ago, was a cog in the, in the team. And now suddenly he's not even a guy you hear on anybody's free agent radar. So I'll be interested to see uh, how he comes back into the fold as, uh, with anybody, much less with the Reds. Uh, but second base is one of the biggest, absolutely the biggest questions you've got right now uh, heading into 2020. So I was looking at the prospect rankings before I came on here earlier today. And a name that stuck out to me, uh, the number five prospect in the Reds org, um, Tyler Callahan. I, don't, I might have botched that last name. Oh no, I, I, I think it's I think it's Callahan as well. He's a guy who was also a, he was an overslot signing, I believe. They got him for a little over a million, maybe a million and a half bucks as a third rounder this year. Um, but a guy whose toolsy is all hell. Um, he's a high school kid, so I don't think he's going to move very fast. 
Um, but he is a guy down the road who I'm, ex- I'm as excited about as anybody. Honestly, uh, I guess Reese Hines, who also plays in the infield as well, was actually the second round pick in, in the draft this year. And I think it might be rated uh, number four, depending on where you look, number four, number six, number seven. Uh, but around the same spot as Callahan, um, I'm, I'm higher on Callahan than I am on Hines, honestly. Uh, he's the kind of guy that looks like he could play all over the infield. Um, as a plus hit tool and is one of the better uh, better kind of steals of uh, of the draft I think the Reds have gotten in the last couple seasons. Yeah, so yeah, that that's one of the questions I was looking at. So he's a second baseman and a third baseman, right? He can play either position. Right. So do you see him coming up? It's just one of those things wherever the Reds need him, he goes there, or do you think uh, he favors one position uh you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. We've we've actually had this conversation before over uh, that red reporter about um, how much teams use shifts these days. Um, that the idea that a player would ever just come up as just a third baseman or just a second baseman um, kind of doesn't or shouldn't exist. Uh, uh, at least the way the Reds employ it right now. Um, a, also, you look on the big league roster, they've got so many guys that move all around as is. The ability to play all those positions is kind of a perk. Um, but you look up at how much you shift on Latina batters these days. Um, even third baseman, sometimes third baseman or second baseman will get shifted all over the diamond as well. So the ability to kind of get used to fielding and making the throws from all over the diamond and or having to cover second base uh, as a third baseman on the odd uh, shift and potential double play Um I think they'll give him every opportunity to play both positions because, in theory, you're going to get a little overlap there if you ever make it to the big leagues as well. Yeah, right. Um, so jumping over to short, Jose Iglesias, uh, thoughts on his season? I thought Jose Iglesias was brilliant. I mean, they got, they got him in a minor league uh, contract, and uh, I think they paid him $2 million bucks for about two-win season last year. Uh, Flash is, is his classic brilliant defense at shortstop and really helped fill the void that uh, the Reds needed. Um, was he – uh, an above average upper tier shortstop? No, he wasn't. Um, that's one of those things, you know, kind of harkening back to that catcher conversation. If Jose Iglesias is uh, the only real black hole on offense you've got, uh, he's the perfect kind of complement to, to that kind of offensive lineup because he's such a brilliant defender. Um, the problem is when he's your fifth or sixth best, best offensive player, uh, you've got an offense that's significantly subpar, and that's kind of where the Reds fell last year. So um, he's a guy that if the Reds wanted to bring him back, I, you know, I'd be fine with that. They got Freddie Galvis, whose uh, option they picked up for next year at five and a half million. Uh, I, I think Galvis has a better chance of being a two to two and a half win player next year than, than Iglesias does, but that doesn't mean Iglesias has a, a low floor. I mean, he's going to give you a, a win and a half on defense, even if he never hits again in his life. Um, I think he was fine. He, he wasn't the problem, uh, but he certainly seemed like a stopgap there. And unfortunately he became the stopgap because Jose Peraza, who was a, a consensus top one in a prospect for a while, the Reds traded for him in the Todd Frazier deal uh, four years ago, had a very promising 2018 season. Uh, he really fell flat last year. And, and they, I think the Reds hoped that he was going to be their, their shortstop of the present and the future. Um, but I think he showed for the second consecutive year that uh, he had trouble being an everyday guy and maybe profiles more as a utility player. Uh, and if that's the case, you look behind him on the shortstop depth chart in the Reds system, and there's – not really anything there. Uh, there's Alfredo Rodriguez, who's a Cuban signee, who uh, 
I think he's got a slugging percentage that starts with two. Um, Jose Israel Garcia, also another uh, Cuban signee, is still only an advanced A ball. He's a guy I'm excited about, but he's at least two years away. So, yeah, when you start talking about the middle infield, there's a lot of different moving parts the Reds have. Um, but I think it's pretty clear they need uh, a very significant addition from outside the organization, uh, either at short or at second, and probably more at, so at shortstop. Yeah, so that I was you just brought me into my next question. Garcia, uh, number nine prospect, you know, his ETA is kind of down the road a little bit. So that's certainly a big question at short for the Reds. So what are some guys that are on your radar that are on the free agent market this year that you would love to just bring in and uh, place a uh, shortstop? Yeah, I think Didi's the one. I mean, Didi obviously came in, uh, broke in with the Reds. He was signed out of uh, um Curacao, I guess, right? Yeah, it was Senator Curacao um, years and years and years ago. And, and he was flipped in um, uh, a three-team deal, actually, including current red Trevor Bauer. Um, the deal that basically brought in uh, Shinsu Chu for the 2013 run, um, which still seems fresh in my mind, uh, even though it was six going on seven years ago because it was the last damn time the Reds actually went into games. Um, but it was a win-now move at the time, and uh, the Reds had Zach Cozart in-house, and they said basically we're going to go with Cozart over Gregorius because it gets us Chu and gives us a chance to win. Um, they were very high on Didi at the time. Uh, he was a guy that they didn't want to give up. Um, but it was one of those win now moves that made sense at the time and they did it. And, uh, in hindsight, uh, you know, they got several good years out of Cozart. It's not like they, 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 they massively swung and missed on, uh, on who they kept and who they didn't keep. Um, kind of unlike the Devin Mezzarocco, yes, Monique Grandal, uh, catcher situation that they picked wrong on. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think Didi's the perfect fit. Uh, he's a guy who's coming off Tommy John surgery, as you mentioned. Coincidentally, Zach Cozart actually missed, uh, about a year and a half or missed, read it about a year after having Tommy John surgery as well, which was the first instance I ever remembered of a position player needing that kind of surgery. Uh, so it's kind of a weird parallel there. But uh, Didi going to be 30 years old. Um, uh, I, I think the short porch in right field would really play well to his power. Uh, you get him on a you know a four-year, 50, 55, $60 million deal, and I think it's the kind of move that the Reds have to make. Um, you know, in all of our offseason uh, prognostications, I, I think we've always considered Grandal as like the – uh, the best case scenario, hope you can get him and not overpay guy. Um, so in theory, he's the ideal free agent for the Reds this winter. I think Didi's the one you can't miss on. I think you just have to get him because there's not another free agent shortstop out there that profiles to have the upside of him. And as we've talked about, there's just nobody else there in the Reds system. So I think you've got to walk away with a plus shortstop who's a, a both an offensive and defensive quality player and Didi's really the only one there uh barring <laughs> barring a massive trade where the reds go out and flip their entire farm system and bring back i don't know francisco lindor uh i think you pretty much have to walk away with Didi gregorius this winter if you're the reds yeah i i me and dave were talking before the show started and i i just want Didi in a reds uniform so bad uh it makes sense and I really hope the Reds, you know, make a big push for him because, you know, it makes sense for the Reds. It makes sense for Didi. And like you said, they need a shortstop. And if if Didi's arm does, you know, become a problem down the road, you can you can put him over at second base. I don't think that'd be an issue. So I, I really hope Didi um, ends up in Cincy. Uh, but moving over to third, uh, your thoughts on Eugenio Suarez this season? Uh, yeah, he led the major leagues in strikeouts. Uh, <laughs> 100, 189. Yeah, Nothing wrong we, with that sometimes in this league. No, we actually no, – I, I, we were talking off off mic earlier. I was on another podcast earlier today, and we were uh, celebrating the fact that Adam Dunn made it on the Hall of Fame uh, ballot for 2020. Yeah, I saw that. 
And uh, we're having a good chuckle about the Big Donkey's career in Cincinnati and talking about how he was almost like the uh, the founding father of three true outcomes. He, he walked, he struck out, and he hit a, a copious amount of home runs. Um, but how he kind of got vilified, you know, we're talking, what, a decade ago, uh, or strikeouts were really first becoming a big, big thing across baseball. And, uh, you know, done strikeouts kind of became what he was synonymous with. And I was like... You realize that Eugenio Suarez led the majors in strikeouts this year, but nobody cares. Like no, because he hit like forty home runs. Yeah, he hit forty nine. Yeah, he hit forty nine home runs, and like nobody cares that he struck out one hundred eighty nine times. Like all that means is he was healthy enough and good enough to play enough where he reached that number. Because like other people struck out at a higher percentage than him, but it was like it was kind of a weird statistic to look at. Be like, oh, that's the one thing he actually led the majors in this year was strikeouts, but nobody cares because that's. It's not what defines his game or anybody else's game in the modern modern era. Um, it isn't. It is pertinent to your question, though, because he sold out a little bit more this year. He sold out for power, um, and it resulted in more strikeouts. But that's fine if it results in more homers, and it sure as hell did. He had 49 this year. Um, you know, the Reds signed him to a seven-year contract extension before, well, I guess, before the 2018 season. It was, um, and at the time, it looked like kind of a good deal. It was one, you know, he was a guy who was not a very highly regarded prospect, didn't sign for hardly anything coming out of Venezuela with Detroit. And the idea of just guaranteed money just was the right move for him to make. Um, now, two years removed, it looks like a steal for the Reds. I think they, they you know, guaranteed 68-ish million dollars with some perks and bonuses. It's going to be a steal for the Reds, even if he sucks from here on out because of how good the first two years have been. Um, he's the face of the franchise right now, as far as I'm concerned. He's a, a guy who, you watch him play third base, and you, then you look at the numbers and the metrics and errors and all the above, and you feel like, wait, those don't, those don't line up. He should be better than that. Um, he was a glove for shortstop when the Reds acquired him from Detroit uh, in the Alfredo Simon deal, which is just, it's hilarious. It's a Dombrowski move uh, to the T's uh, when he was trying to get one more winning year out of Detroit. Uh, but he gave up Suarez, and the Reds basically fleeced Detroit in that move. Um, he's He's been a, a key cog the last three seasons for the Reds and really is the cornerstone piece that they've got in-house going forward. Um, I, I thought he had a brilliant year. I thought he was the one consistent offensive performer uh, uh, game in, game out, and is a guy the Reds committed to building around, and it looks more and more by the day that uh, he's the guy that they wanted to get, and I'm hoping that he can sustain uh, what he showed in 2019 uh, going forward, because he really is a right-handed enforcer in the middle of the lineup. So we ta- we've been talking about some prospects and their uh, ETAs. What are you, what's your ETA for Jonathan India? He's the number one, number three prospect in the Reds org, um, third baseman. What are your thoughts on him, and when do you see him coming up? Yeah, so the number five overall pick out of Florida after just an uh, explosive campaign in the SEC, uh, what, that would have been, what, 20, uh, 2018. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, I think the Reds hope will be a fast mover. He'll be 23 this this winter. Um, a guy they, they ideally hope could kind of be the next Nick Senzel in the system. Um, and I mean that because he's an incredible athlete as well. He's a guy who's played time or gotten time at shortstop. I think he could play shortstop at a pinch, but not a guy you really want to pencil in as your future there. Um, but a guy who I think would ideally be a great fill-in at second base as well. Um, so we talk about uh, how the Reds are going to fill these roles. Um, I think uh, India is kind of, at this point, he's almost the insurance plan for a lot of other moves they could make. Um, you know, his 
his calling card coming out of college was his power. Uh, you watch batting practices plays, uh, and he shows it in spades. It hasn't quite shown up in-game yet, uh, but that comes with a caveat. He was playing in the Florida State League in Daytona uh, for most of last year, and that's a notorious pitcher's park. Um, we mentioned Jose Garcia earlier as well. You look at his numbers, and like the slash line's not great, but you look at that relative to the league average, and the dude was knocking the cover off the ball. Uh, NDA was kind of bit by that as well, and I think as he advances up, um, put it this way, he He's a guy who I think if he had a full year at AAA this year, AAA International League in Louisville using the, the big league ball for the first year time this year, I think his numbers would have looked way different than they did where he was. Um, so he's kind of – I think he's slipped a little bit down the uh, the pecking order in terms of how he's viewed nationally, but he's still a guy who I think has a lot of upside. And I think the Reds are very, very high on um, – I think he, he he fits in very much on the depth chart at both second base and third base for the future, uh, depending on how things shake out with some of the guys who are a little bit ahead, ahead of him. Uh, but still a guy who I think the Reds are very, very high on. That's who they tried to land JT Real Muto with last year. He was he was reportedly the top prospect they were willing to include in that deal. Uh, it wasn't quite good enough for Philly to get him um, or for the Reds to get him over the Phillies. The Phillies offered Sixto Sanchez, who's obviously a, a top-tier pitching prospect, and Miami wanted him more than India, uh, but I think he's a guy who who I'm excited about his prospects for this year, especially because I expect him to get the AAA by the end of the season. Yeah, so, I mean, that literally hit the nail on the head there with all that. The infield... Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> the infield is looking very promising. I love Scooter Grinnett. I think he's going to end up back in Cincy, and I think he's going to kill it, um, just because I think you guys gave him a chance, and because he kind of ended up without a team, like you were saying... I think for Didi, a shorter term deal is good. Two, three years with a good amount of money, so you can kind of he can kind of prove it. Maybe it depends. Uh, it depends really what happens there. But there's a good plan in place for the infield at least. And even if you don't end up getting Didi in free agency, there is some some movement there you can do. Moving to the outfield, probably the most interesting place in my opinion because the starting pitching is pretty much set. The bullpen is in good shape right now. Just needs some development. The outfield right now, guys under contract. You have Van Meter, who can play second or pretty much anywhere. Like you said, he's a freak athlete. You have Jankowski, Irvin, Winker, and this random dude, you know, not that great, Aquino. I don't know if you ever heard of him before. <laughs> and you were talking before about center field being an issue. Now, as a Red Sox fan... Any one of his favorite players in the world being JBJ, the Red Sox don't really have room for him right now. And Cincinnati's in the National League last time I checked. And you don't have a deep farm system, but it's it's decent. It's very top-heavy, I would say, with Hunter Green there. Two things. One, Aquino's unreal. You know he's going to be out there. And guys like Jankowski, Winker, they're former first-round picks. Winker, actually, I think is could legitimately be a corner outfielder with some with some playing time and, and some development. But you know Quino's going to be in right. And you know you have Sensel or Van Meter for trying to be, you know, fighting for that position. Do you think you bring in a guy like a trade, like a JBJ from a team that you can come in there and get and solidify center field? I'm under the impression that you can throw away center field from batting average-wise if you can get a good defense out of it. Kind of like catcher, where you don't need a guy to bat 300. You know, you see most of the catchers in the league, they're very good defensively and good at calling games, maybe not the best hitters, and teams get by with that. But 
with the lines of that, do you think that the outfield is going to make a splash like that? Or is it just going to be development and you're going to put Van Meter, Winker, and Aquino out there and Sensel when he comes back just bounce around? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I, I'm I on board with what you said about the ability to hire uh, a good defender in center field. Um, I'm of the opinion, especially for a team that's willing to contend, uh, that you can hide a really good defender at one of shortstop, center field, or catcher. But if you start trying to hide more than one, that's where you start to fall down the, the offensive pecking order. And that's really what the Reds have been up against the last couple of years. You know, they tried to hide Billy Hamilton out there. Um, th- that was okay if they could have gotten a big time hitting catcher, but they didn't. So suddenly you had two black holes on offense, no DH, and it just was a subpar offense. Um, you know, there were rumors the Reds were, were in on uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. last year as well. Um, uh, they didn't actually land him, but as a guy who uh, I think would fit out there, provided that you're making offensive upgrades and shortstop and catcher. You know, you go out and you add uh, Grand Dollar catcher, you add Didi at shortstop, and you bring in Jackie Bradley Jr. for center field for a year. Uh, I think that's kind of a perfect offseason, honestly. I, you've addressed uh, center field. Uh, you've brought in a fourth outfielder, or not a fourth outfielder, but a fourth person to kind of rotate through the three outfield spots with the three other established guys um, and also addressed offensively uh, two other spots on the roster. Uh, I think that's something the Reds would be considering to do. Um, it's weird. You know, you look back at the, what the, the, the big move they made last year, and they made several big moves last year, but usually the biggest one was the huge deal they swung with the Dodgers. They brought in Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood and Kyle Farmer and Matt Kemp. And sent out uh, Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray and home, what, the last vestiges of Homer Bailey. Um, it was one of those moves that they made because of where they are in the market, which was a team that was willing to add payroll, uh, but wasn't so high payroll that they were flirting with the luxury tax. And they basically capitalized on the fact that the Dodgers were trying to shed salary left and right to get under that luxury tax line. And they made all of the bells and whistles and average annual values, whatever work. Uh, so the, where the Reds could take on salary and basically in the process buy guys off of the Dodgers on one year deals uh, that the Dodgers thought they could replace elsewhere and get them under the luxury tax um, where the Red Sox are right now. That's kind of what they're hoping to do this winter as well, which is, shed salary, get under that luxury tax threshold, but also not give away the 2020 season. Uh, and, and Bradley Jr. kind of seems like one of those guys at, what, $10, $11 million for next year, uh, kind of seems to be on the chopping block in that regard because uh, they're hoping to be able to shed that money but replace him from within or replace him with a guy who's making league minimum. And suddenly you've you've leveraged that money off the, uh, the payroll. And the Reds are in position to capitalize on that because they're sitting at, you know, right now, uh, after they non-tender a couple guys, they got about $100 million in the books. They're looking to go to at least 140. So I think uh, Bradley Jr. is a guy they could absorb, take on. And also, if he was that guy who was the worst offensive player on their roster, brilliant defender would fit very well, provided that they can still make the upgrade to the other spot. So I think that's a possibility for sure. Um, I also look up and, you know, for as good as Aquino was and Winker has been when healthy and as uh, a good of a prospect as Senzel is, uh, I mentioned that trade last year. The Reds started the year with Kemp and Puig. Scott Shepler was in center field. Um, they went through like nine outfielders last year. So the fact that uh, you know, Winker Senzel Aquino seems like the perfect one, two, three punch on paper. Uh, I think there's a lot more depth that they could add uh, outfield option wise because um, they're going to need it because they always do. Yeah, you always need depth. And, you know, when it comes to the Red Sox and the Dodgers kind of doing a similar thing, 
You never know. The Reds might take back a guy like Evaldi or Price, which I'm sure they wouldn't care too much about, taking a little bit of money. So, and... so sorry to interrupt, but the Reds no. have been on the Reds have been on a very huge uh, Tennessee and Vanderbilt binge. Ah, well, late. guess what? Yeah, so I mean, they 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 brought in Sonny Gray, Vanderbilt grad, Derek Johnson, their pitching coach. They got in from the the Brewers. Uh, obviously, was Vanderbilt's uh, pitching coach when Gray was there. When David Price was there, Kirk Casale, their catcher, was uh, uh, Sonny Gray's catcher at Vandy. Caleb Cottom, their assistant pitching coach, who they now have working with Cal Bodie, who they brought in from Driveline Baseball, also a Vanderbilt product. Uh, and I look up, and it's like, hmm, David Price. Sandy guy, uh, also Nashville uh, area native. And then, hmm, Mookie Betts, uh, Nashville guy, uh, Nick Senzel, Tennessee guy, Tennessee commit. Uh, it's like, hmm, all of these things coming together. And it's like, I wonder how much of this giant uh, wheel is working in the red front office to be able to swing something gigantic like that, right? Yeah, no, it, it's really a good thought. And, you know, a couple of those guys were Trevor Bowers guys who you brought in. And it would solidify – the starting pitching, and, and we'll just jump right to that now. Your starting pitching on paper might be one of the best ones in the National League. I mean, when you really look at it, the reemergence of Sonny Gray is unbelievable. Luis Castillo's nasty. Trevor Bauer is going to strike out a million guys. And then Descalfani's there. You have Mail, uh, Tyler Mail as well. And that doesn't mean you can't add somebody like a trade, like a David Price, a veteran guy, or even bringing back Alex Wood, who. When healthy, is a damn good pitcher. Just his only problem is the dude can't stay healthy. But he's a free agent as well. I'm pretty sure off the top of my head right now still. So you obviously have a very, very solid one, two, three, and then a nice number four in Descalfani. So what does it look like in the future for that? Are they going to go after the bigger fish like an Alex Wood or a David Price in a trade? Or are they just going to roll with those four or five guys, add somebody from the minors, and kind of tweak that fifth role since you know the only guy there – under contract for a while as Sonny Gray. You have Castillo who's on the contract in arbitration, but Descalfani and Bauer are both gone after this year in 2021, unless you guys resign them all around the same age as well. So what do you think it's going to look like for the season and going into this off season? Yeah, I, I would be shocked if the Reds don't bring another veteran starter in. Um, you know, Talon Alley, he's a guy who's still only, what, 24, 25 years old, uh, former fringe top 100 guy, but a guy who uh, Derek Johnson reportedly is really, really high on. But he's also not a guy I think they want to put uh, all of their 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 uh, bells and whistles on, being the number five starter for the entire season. Uh, and beyond that, you need depth. And, and beyond those five guys that are in-house, you've got um, – Former starters like Cody Reed, who still looks like he's probably going to be a bullpen arm. Uh, Lucas Sims, who they got from the Braves and the Adam Duvall deal. It's probably that number six, quote-unquote, starter, but a swing man in the bullpen. Um, Tony Santillan's one of their, their top uh, near-major ready uh, arms, but he kind of struggled a little bit in double-A this year, and I don't think they want to put too much of a, a movement on him getting him up to the big league level. I think they'll explore bringing in a, a, a one-term or one-year contract veteran starter, maybe even a guy that can get on a, on a minor league deal and hope he's healthy. Um, I, I think they would love to get something done with Alex Wood if they can get it back on a one-year contract, even if it is at eight, nine, ten million bucks. I think that's something they would be willing to stomach. Um, <laughs> small side note, uh, Kyle Farmer, who also came over in the deal uh, with Wood from the Dodgers, he and Alex Wood both went to the University of Georgia together. Uh, they were in each other's weddings. They're best of friends. Alex Wood apparently loved his time in Cincinnati, and that's a guy who I think, obviously, he's not going to uh, say no to more millions of dollars from somebody else. 
um, uh, to come back to Cincinnati. But I think the idea of him kind of feeling that there's some unfinished business there, uh, I think he'd be very interested in coming back on a one-year deal. I think that would, that would certainly round out um, the best Reds rotation since at least 2013, uh, back when they had Johnny Cueto and Matt Latos and Bronson Arroyo, um, and and one of the better, absolutely one of the better ones in the National League. Um, so yeah, I, I could certainly see them doing that, and I think that's uh, something that they will address, if for no other reason that there are. I'm not even. Sure, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure there's been a deeper pool of really good starting quality starting pitching. Uh, options on the market as there are this winter. Uh, and I think the Reds will certainly try to do their best to capitalize on that. Yeah, there's a ton of them. And one name that throws up for me is another former Red Sox, a guy like Rick Porcello. Just the guy that's going to go in there and throw 180 to 200 innings. Obviously didn't have the best end of the year last year. But you got you could definitely benefit from a guy, you know, like a James Shields, Rick Porcello, those names that you hear all the time that can throw close to 200 innings and just help out if someone's hurt, help out if you're just waiting for somebody to get called up. And there's a lot of like in-between things that there are serviceable guys that you need to eat innings that aren't that bad on the cap. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was that was Tanner Roark for the run. Uh, yeah, the Tanner Roark, perfect. And, he, and yeah. he was great. I loved him. I thought he was perfect. Yeah, he was, he was the, the the quintessential number three, number four starter, guy that you know is going to give you six and a half innings or six and a third innings every time out there. Uh, yeah, you need that. That, that. that saves your bullpen. That buys time for younger guys. Uh, I think that's absolutely something that they will look into. And heck, I mean, if you can go out and get Tanner Roark for two years and 20 million, um, oh, yeah, go do that. Why not? Go do that. And then Bauer and Disco are off the off the payroll after this year. And suddenly Rourke's still there. You know, and you, you've got your number three starter behind Castillo and Gray for 2021. And he helps you out uh, next year as well. So, yeah, I, I think the Reds are going to be opportunistic about that. I mean, there's just there's so many good pitchers out there this this particular offseason that I think the Reds, uh, they're going to walk away with somebody. Uh, I don't think they're going to uh, dedicate a lot of payroll to it, uh, but they're going to walk away with somebody out there for sure. All right, so we cannot not ask about uh, the Bauer trade. Our other co-host covers um, the Amarillo Sod Poodles and covers Taylor Trammell, so he'll want us to ask about this. But what were your thoughts on the Trevor Bauer trade? So I've got to I've got to uh, put my uh, reflective goggles on this for a minute. Um, so we've talked about Didi Gregorius, we talked about Yasmani Grandal, uh, the last. Reds free agent contract of note that they gave out was Ryan Ludwig for two years and $18 million in 2012. Before that, it was Francisco Cordero and I think 2007 with four years and $46 million. And that's the biggest free agent contract they've ever given out. So in essence, for the better part of a decade and a half, the idea that the Reds could ever address any of their major needs in free agency has been non-existent. Like we haven't even written about a, a free agent target for them in six years because they just haven't done it. Now they've expressed very often this particular winter, how important 2020 is and how they are willing to jump back into the free agent market, uh, which is a whole new territory for them and for us. So when I saw that they traded Taylor Trubell, their top prospect, Futures Game MVP from 2018, uh, I think at the time number 13 overall in, in uh, MLB Pipeline, for one and a half years of Trevor Bauer, when the rotation was already the best rotation they put together in a decade, I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why? 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 Because at the time, that when all you do to address your roster to get better is trades – why trade your best guy for somebody who seems almost redundant to what your best aspect is? That's one less trade they could pull off for something they really needed. So at the time, 
I hated it. Absolutely despised the deal um, and wish they would have traded Trammell for a guy who would have been around for longer than Bauer or who was cheaper than Bauer. All the, the, the aspects of the old small market trade only Cincinnati Reds. That said, if the Reds actually are willing to begin to address roster issues by spending in free agency, uh, that deal to me looks a lot better on paper uh, because, okay, trade all the prospects if you can go out and sign guys to replace them. That's just not something the Reds ever did ever before. Uh, Trammell is a guy who is as toolsy as could possibly be. Uh, they signed him. It was the second pick. I think it was a, a, a supplementary first-round pick in 2016. They saved about a million and a half bucks on Nick Senzel when they took him second overall. Threw all of that money to Taylor Trammell. I think he signed for $3.5 million dollars. Uh, to basically buy him out of a scholarship at Georgia Tech, um, where he was potentially also going to play football. Um, this is a standout running back, standout athlete, guy who got recruited by the University of Georgia to play football as well. Um, just one of the toolsiest athletes the Reds have had in their system in a long, long time. Um, giving up on him where they did, uh, I was I was really, really frustrated. He was going through a swing change, and you look at his numbers at AA this year. Uh, they really weren't that good. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, the, the double-A environment and offensive environment uh, at double-A Chattanooga really was not good at all this year, especially for left-handed hitters. So that kind of played into his numbers really being down. It seemed like they sold low on him to me and got a guy that's only there for a year and a half, half of which was a, a season in 2019 where the Reds weren't going anywhere. Um, it really puts a lot of their eggs in the basket for uh, uh, for the 2020 season. Um, I, I think Bauer has the chance to be a very good bounce-back candidate, especially – uh, heading into free agency after this year. The Reds bring in Kyle Bodie. Um, it, you could tell the Bowers a guy that they had interest in for a long, long time before this. And this all kind of seems to be kind of coming together in a perfect storm, knock on wood, for how good Bauer could be next year. Uh, but Trammell's a guy who I still have very, very high hopes for. Um, I think he's going to continue to kind of evolve and improve uh, as he gets more and more used to that swing change. But he's a guy who I, I still look up. And, you know, the Reds go out and sign – every outfielder they possibly could want to make me forget about Taylor Trammell. Uh, that still doesn't diminish the fact that I think he's going to be a very, very good, impactful player uh, for whether it's the Padres or somebody else down the road. I think he's the kind of guy that just it really still burns to think about the Reds giving up on him. Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty much uh, of the opinion that of yours. So, you know, I I hate that, uh, you know, he they had to do away with uh, Trammell, but, you know, Maybe it maybe it works out in the end. But uh, finishing out with the bullpen, uh, just a few quick couple questions. Amir Garrett, you know, pretty solid season. Uh, what were your thoughts on his season? Uh, did he make enough of a jump to be you know the setup guy? Uh, and just your thoughts on his season as a whole. Yeah, you know, his was up and down for sure. Uh, you know, he was a guy who we all thought got severely snubbed by not being on the all-star team. Uh, his first half was just brilliant. Um, he's a guy who, excuse me, he was a guy who was a, uh, NCAA basketball player for St. John's, phenomenal athlete. Um, the Reds, I think, drafted him late and signed him for a, a, a seven-figure bonus, knowing that he was going to continue to play college basketball, but a guy they were willing to be patient on. Uh, uh, cracked every single possible top 100 prospect list crack top 50 by a couple uh, as a starter coming through the minors. And um, you know, the Reds at that point in time during when they started on the rebuild really had a, a big group of guys who we thought was going to be the rotation of the future. Um, and all who were very, very highly rated guys like Brandon Finnegan, Cody Reed, uh, Robert Stevenson and Garrett was a big, big part of that as well. Um, none of those guys have panned out as starters, uh, but you saw from Stevenson a little bit last year, 
uh, and certainly from Garrett, uh, that the way Derek Johnson implements his his pitching philosophy, it's uh, not you're a relief pitcher, you need these three pitches, learn them and throw them in this mix. It is throw your best pitch and throw it as often as you think you need to. And Amir Garrett's slider is absolutely one of the best wipeout pitches in all of baseball. Uh, And you really saw him focus on throwing that last year. And when he does, he's almost untouchable. It's not quite Josh Hader-ish, but it's very, very similar from the left side. And he's a guy who I'm I'm extremely high on. Uh, I I think he's kind of found his niche back there. Um, And I certainly think he's got the chops to be – one of the better left-handed setup guys in all the National League for uh, for 2020 and going forward, hopefully. And uh, last question for you: Do the Reds go out and bring in a guy, you know, another guy to you know work in the seventh through you know ninth inning? I think so. Yeah, uh, you know they've got Rosella Iglesias as their quote-unquote closer. Although I think they would prefer to use him more as that high leverage guy than the the quote-unquote ninth inning guy. Um, so he's there. Michael Lorenzen, uh, extremely interesting guy, especially now the fact that the the twenty-six roster, twenty-six man roster rolls into play, uh, and the provisions for having the. Uh, the two-way player. Um, he's a guy who I think is just going to continue to improve in the bullpen. Um, I think in those three, you've got a pretty solid back end. Uh, I mentioned Robert Stevenson. He kind of broke out in a relief role last year as well. Uh, I think those four, Lucas Sims, you've got a pretty good mix there. That said, uh, the Reds love <laughs> playing Great American Ballpark. You have to uh, love guys that can come in and get ground balls. And they had that in Jared Hughes the last two years. Um you know, uh, a guy who can come in if somebody leaves a guy on first base and, and you need a big out or try to get a double play. He's just an absolute ground ball machine. Um, a guy like Brendan Kinsler, I think, would be a really good fit in that role. Um, but I think the Reds will sign another veteran to bring in for that back end of the bullpen. Um, they lost Jared Hughes uh, uh, mid-year last year. Uh, David Hernandez as well, both of whom had great 2018 seasons, not so much in 2019, but also guys that um, you know kind of filled that veteran role in the bullpen. Uh, I think you'll see the Reds go out and get a guy like that. Kinsler's the one who jumps out to me. He might be a little bit more expensive than, than what they want to spend for a guy who doesn't profile as a, an eighth-inning guy, uh, but someone in that, that mold I think is absolutely what, uh, what the Reds are going to try to target this winter.